Don't roll with the coach. Do not roll with the coach. Should give you a little rule book when you sign up to Jiu Jitsu. Give you a little rule book. And rule number one, I think, should be do not roll with the coach. Among other rules, like flip flops to the back of the mat, you know, that really cringy thing when new people come and they sort of come striding through the through the changing rooms of the training hall with their shoes on, uh, the shoes off rather, and you know they're walking straight onto the mat and it's the jankiest thing you've ever seen, you sort of want to grab them and go, oh, brother, please get your Ming Town feet away from my mat. Grim. That should be in there. Shower before class should be in there. That is my vibe. Uh, wherever I can, I'll jump in the shower, particularly if you're coming off duty as a copper. I don't, I don't leave the nick in any of my clothes. Don't get that, by the way. I know a lot of us do it, travelling the half black thing. Gets to me. I think the few times that I have done it, I'm sort of sitting in my car, going into my home, and I, I look down at my combats and think, the uh, I can almost smell the hepatitis. It's um. Yeah, it's not my thing, that, so I am, um, I get changed in full at work and of course I get changed for jiu-jitsu, but I also have a full shower, minty fresh, I'm into the old original source shower gel, and I have been since I was, oh, I reckon 14 years old, I started using the mint original source, never gone back, I've dabbled, I've dabbled with other stuff, I've got the old, uh, oh, thank you, squire. Thank you. Um, I've got the old, um, uh, I think I'm pronouncing this right, Badidas, or Badeas, Bidea, Uber Posh. Um, it's uh, it's an import from uh, Mrs. UK Cop Podcast's uh, uh, background. I was introduced to it, uh, I think, at a shower somewhere around her place back in the uh, back in the days of courtship when I'd. <clears throat> stay at her house and she'd sneak me down the stairs I'd sometimes grab a quick shower and in the shower there was Badidas or Badeas or however you say it, really nice it's like a um, I think it has chestnuts on the outside, a dark green I'm probably over-egging this to be honest but d d don't go to your grave, that's, that's quite a good one, it's very refined smell uh, roughly 40 quid a bottle so steady with that one so for the main I have original source, mint and tea tree, brilliant, stuff that makes your tin, ting, teeth back in, stuff that makes your skin tingle, so I lather myself up with that before BJJ because it is grim when you slap bump with somebody and you know what, actually I've, I could probably count on one hand when I've been in that situation, most, most if not all the people I roll with are pretty courteous of that on uh, on that on that front so there's no major complaints but I do like to um do like to have a shower nice and fresh that sort of thing 
Anyway, don't roll with the coach. It's a really bad idea. Throughout the old COVID thing, we've been training in, when we've been able to train at all, we've been training in, in, in bubbles or with family members. People in my bubble, or the person in fact in my bubble, is the same belt as me, they're a white belt. And I've been training for about the same time as me, about two years. And um, training like that can sort of lull you into a false sense of security because <clears throat> when we're rolling together, we're both working, we're both tapping each other probably an even amount. Sometimes he has good days, sometimes I have good days. But both putting the work in. We, we've both got to that point now where, you know, they, when you first start, they, everyone says, relax. What are you on about? Relax. I can't. I don't know what this. I don't know what this means. Huffing and puffing, <gasps> trying to uh, trying to survive. And slowly, I think around this point, I think about maybe the year to a year and a half, and yeah, two years, two and a bit years is where I'm at now. Um, you start learning what people mean by relax. And now I. It's something I can't really explain to new people. There was a new guy, in fact, today, and I could hear the coach saying, relax, buddy, relax. And I almost think there's probably no point in saying it, other than it's quite nice when you learn how to relax, that you, you have that realisation wash over you where you think, ah, this is what they mean by relax. Sort of get why they say it. I'm up in the air on that one, the jury remains out. I've got to adjust this aircon on, absolutely roasting. I'm still in the, um, what do you call it? The rash guard and the spats, I think the Americans call them. We, we, we opt for leggings, I sort of prefer leggings. Um, so I'm still still wearing all that and it's, it's warm, isn't it? The weather's taking a turn, I like it though, enjoying the weather. So difficult with the, uh, particularly with kids, young kids in the bad weather. It's just the right shit show. Can't get them out. Can't do stuff when they do go out. Got to kit them up, layer upon layer, wellies, hats, all that sort of stuff. It's the right pain. So it's nice in the weather when it's a bit warmer, but it does come with certain limitations, like roasting your face off when you come out of jujitsu, still wearing the full lycra. So roll with the coach tonight, which is what made me thought of this rule. And it's a horrible realization to, it's sort of twofold I think, it's to realize that you, you've got no hope against this individual. I mean, not even, there's not even a chance that you're going to you're going to power through something or you're going to catch something at my kind of level there is just such a gulf of separation between me and him that there's there's no chance at all but that that isn't the bit that stings the most for me what what gets me the most is he's not actually trying so with my regular training partner when he's tapping me, he's really working. He's squeezing that guillotine in. 
you know, he's really having to jack my arm up for the head and arm triangle. I'm, you're never happy to give a tap, are you? But it's nice to know the other person is working. But to sort of look down or up, mostly up, at this, actually thinking about it, it's mostly down because it just pulls guard because it's it's almost no fun at all for him if he starts from a takedown fight position, just pull guard and finishes me from there. Lovely. So you're looking down at this sweatless, sort of presumably adamantium figure underneath you that you just cannot do anything with. Um, And things are happening so quickly that I don't feel like I've got time to think. When I'm rolling with people that are around my level, I do have moments where I'm where I'm thinking. Lots of it's reflexive, and I try to do as much drilling as I can, and that that helps with the old reflexive aspect of the of the game. But I am thinking. Right, yeah, I've got that Keskatami there. I can feel his elbow slipping, protect that cross face. Uh, probably got a north-south on here. Let's distract him with something. Let's try and put a Kamora on the other side. North-south, where we go? Oh, he's defended it. He's inverted the guard. Off we go again. That's the kind of commentary that's being provided by myself, to myself, in my own head. When I'm rolling with a coach, the commentary is just, oh, fuck, oh, no, that's, wait, hang on a minute. Oh, fuck, it's happening again. does it can be a little bit disheartening I think it should be maybe a caveated rule don't roll with a coach unless you're really secure in your in your uh, in your position on your your BJJ journey to use that lovely Americanism worth thinking about maybe because it all got to the end and I said, oh, do you fancy a roll? I offered him out. Oh, what the fuck am I thinking? What am I going to learn from this? I don't think I learned anything. I really, I think the, the difference is, it's sort of like what an ant learns from someone stepping on it. There's nothing there really, is there? Give him a difficult leaf to carry. Yeah, there might be, there might be a lesson to move forward with, but when the, the knowledge and ability gap is that vast, learning anything it's just just sickening but there we go we press on so today dealt with a couple of jobs over the phone today and they were they were different in nature but had comparable principles or they were at least they were they were evocative of the same type of thought first one to give you the wave tops of it uh, neighbor dispute but not really neighbors dispute more one neighbor's a cunt and the other one is a sweet old lady uh, it's a pretty horrific situation well, I'm playing fast and loose with the word horrific aren't I yeah Mao's China's horrific this is 
this is probably uh, this is a shit situation. Let's let's leave off the uh, the verbosity. Um, turn that down a bit. So, sweet old lady, idiot next door thinks it's a brilliant idea to play what I can only describe as dickhead trance for roughly 26 hours a day on what I assume is the highest volume that his shithouse speaker goes up to. Um, we're called because there's actually been a public order today. He's gone out and given a load of verbal and all this sort of stuff. Um, we, won't, we might be able to run with that job, actually. We might be able to. Um, it's not me investigating. It's gone off to it's gone off to another team, but there's, there might be a witness, that sort of stuff. But really... Um, probably not going anywhere and the noise complaint as you all well know is not is not us we've got no we've got no power um I, I say to people that it was a power that was taken away from us back in the 70s is that true can anyone tell me or is it just something that i was told years ago and i've kept parroting the same thing and nobody's nobody's brought me up on it so i'm just going to keep saying it which is which is, which is my, one of my general modes actually um i think that's the case but Either way, we don't have a power to deal with it. It's all, it's all managed by the, by the local council, by bylaws and that sort of thing. So, I have to tell this tearful old lady that the thing that's really bothering her, it's not the, it's not the intermittent abuse that she gets out the front, which, as I say, we are, we are recording and are, are dealing with inverted commas. Um, it's the noise. It's this cretinous music that he plays for... God knows how many hours a day when this old dear is, you know, trying to tend to a potting shed or whatever it is. Um, he's been placed there, shock horror. He hasn't, uh, he hasn't bought the place. Um, and that's what she really cares about. And we are impotent. So I'm to say to this poor old lady over the phone, I know this is what's really bothering you, but we don't. We don't have a power to, to deal with this. She quite rightly says, can't you talk to him? Can't you? And yeah, we can. Yeah, we can. We've also talked to him 18 times in the past about this. Um, and every single time his response is somewhere between fuck off and no reply at all. And the second job, I'll come back to the theme in a moment, what I thought about that first job, but the second job was a... Uh, da, 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 welfare check on a um, on a kid that uh, phoned in by mum. Welfare check is on child who's currently with dad, concerned for the for dad's ability to care for the child. Standard thing. And just chatting away to me and mentioning loads of stuff that's all civil stuff that I know that we. We've not got the ability to deal with, and she's of course telling me her tale of woe as a holistic story. And I'm, as a copper, as we all do, I'm I'm doing criminal law math, and I'm sort of highlighting as she's talking the bits that are going to be for us and the bits that are nothing to do with us, and most of what she's reporting is is civil it's going to be managed through the through the civil courts um, or or not at all or there's no 
there's no legislation, civil or criminal or otherwise, managing what she's reporting. And it's a shit situation. And I start looking back through the history, and 50% of the calls about the welfare of the kids are phoned in by her, and 50% are phoned in by dad. And they both think each other are terrible parents, and they both request uh, that officers' welfare check their children on a regular basis because they believe they're in immediate danger. Which we go out and do, turn up, see the kids are all fine, submit the relevant paperwork, resume, and wait for the next call to come in about the same children. And based on the information within the, the history of, of these two, they've both behaved terribly. Um, and again, as we all know, some of the worst of human behaviour takes place takes sorry takes place within that domestic forum, be it with a domestic relationship that is established and is uh, at least at least on paper a relationship or one that is an ex-relationship we've got partners separated but we could put all that under the umbrella of the domestic as as we do and so much of our of our business although i loathe that word so much of our business is occupied by that realm the realm of the domestic And I would hypothesise that that's because we are an emotional animal. Let's go further. We are an emotional, tribal, violent animal, actually. And we are most emotional and most tribal and most violent within our families and within the relationships that we, that we form because we invest the most in them invest the most of our emotional emotionalism, the most of our tribalism. We invest the most of us in those types of relationships. It's why you're not angry at all about the waller who cut you up the other day, but the fact that that girl cheated on you back in college still gets on your tits a little bit. And how? Of all people, fucking Tony, of all fucking people. <laughs> I'm over it. Anyway, back to the podcast. Right. We we invest a lot in these relationships. And I, I imagine it like a kind of pendulum. The more we invest, uh, the more more of our own evil we exercise and I suppose thinking out loud for a moment that will be because there's there's probably a positive correlation between the presence of emotion and the lack of rationalism it's why we use that word all the time detach it's why uh, you would be far better responding to an incident that you had no connection with at all than responding to intruders on at your own address you're probably not going to be thinking clearly about what's going on there you're probably not thinking about the containment strategy and where the nearest A roads are and can we plot up, plot up traffic and what's the uh, what's the CCTV coverage like you're probably not thinking about that you're probably thinking I'm 
going to skin this bloke alive if I find him in the house with my children. And that's because there's more emotion present there. That is our tribe, our family. That is the unit in space and time that we have invested the most of ourselves into and that's why our reasoning faculties go offline when we're when we're dealing with that sort of thing and that's that's why so much of our again that horrible word so much of our business is dedicated to the domestic realm I was looking through these reports and so I put the, put the lady on hold, sat back in my chair and thought, Christ, we are fucking horrible to each other. And I bet, what's more, that if you met these two people away from their domestic environment, you'd probably say that's a perfectly nice, decent person. If you were a work colleague or a friend of theirs at uni or college or whatever, you'd probably say, yep. Nice person, nice guy, nice girl. We'll go for coffee with them, have them around for a barbecue, that sort of thing. And yet they've done and said things that are that are awful things to have done and said. And that, and that places them firmly in the uh, in the overwhelming majority of our species throughout all of our history. All done and said uh, horrible, horrible things. And. I found a theme populate my mind with both of these incidents and that theme is that we have the freedom to be awful to each other. We have the freedom to treat each other poorly and sometimes there's a part of me that would quite like to be the fucking Gestapo actually and go around to that little old lady's neighbour and sit him down and say this is a sponge this is an electric current you need to fucking behave yourself I would quite like that I'd quite like sometimes to sit down with these two these two people out of this domestic relationship um, and say, get them in the room and say this is a pair of pliers these are two lengths of ropes there are children involved in this, you fucking morons. You need to get your shit together. I would quite like that. But that is an emotional part of me. And as painful as it can sometimes be to hear these accounts, to look at those reports and to contemplate the idea of this hideous human being who's playing this horrendous music and this poor old lady sat there crying every day. We have to ask ourselves a question. We have to say, we have to ask really whether we want absolute power with the with the offer, with the pretense of absolute Security, so the security of those children not to be exposed to any further domestic disputes with the security of that little old lady not to have to uh, listen to Smash House Ecstasy Pump 5 or whatever it's called. Now, as I say, there are moments where I think, sign me up. Sign me up. Get me my jack boots um, and my walking cane. 
and I shall pop round and I, I will right the wrongs of this county with my absolute authority. The problem with that is we, we have the evidence of history and the story of our past and we know by that data that absolute security always results in tyranny. Security, as, as I've mentioned lots on this podcast, security exists on a sliding scale with liberty. Uh, they are naturally opposing forces at, at every level at which they are exercised. Uh, I can keep my children maximally safe. I can ensure that no harm ever comes to them. I could lock them in the shed and give them three square meals a day. I don't need to draw you a picture here. That would render them without liberty. I could also give them maximal liberty and do the old Wolf of Wall Street and take them up to the woods and open the door. You're free now. Run free. I actually have thought about doing that with one of my kids. But then he has no security. So we must seek to strike a balance, and this this balance is is the art of justice. And of course, we we are one we are one instrument of it. We are the we are its deployment function. We don't we don't draft the the legislation, uh, or, or nor debate it, nor nor ratify it, uh, nor suggest it. If you'll forgive me, breaking the chronology of that system for a moment we are we are simply the the implementation now there is uh, a separate art form within that implementation there is uh, the art form of of coppering and, and I mean that seriously I um, people have often given me a sideways look when I've expressed that phrase in the past that policing is a is an art form quickly because I'll try and wrap this up relatively soon um, if this were just a case of legislation policy procedure as lots of people seem to think it is we would just have an algorithm in our place it would just be some kind of machine that you could program to make decisions about things or, or we would simply input the information that we received into us into said algorithm um, and see what it produced and then execute that that production that is not what we do is it we we turn up we gather information we, we assess threat harm and risk we spin our ndm uh, we consider the legislation available to us we counterbalance legislation okay this is a public order but that person has an Article 8 expression, uh, freedom of expression. What's what's in the greater uh, interest here? What interest here? <laughs> greater interest here? What's the higher good? Is is this particular investigation in in the public interest? Um, are we undermining the spirit of the law by enforcing its letter on this particular occasion? Um, we've got seven people here, they're all victims and suspects of each other, 
who are we lifting who are we BAing who are we who are we given uh, street caution who, you know what are we what are we doing here this is this is the art of of policing it is not it is not a hard science there's hard legislation policy and procedure behind it but it still requires the human the copper on the ground making those decisions in the moment often exceptionally quickly and in fact to give you the what I, what I think is the apex example of this if you think of the, the fastest decisions a police officer can make you'd probably have to go into the realm of firearms or the, at least the fastest decision and the decision with the most gravity think about it for a moment the police officer is charged with <coughs> uh, with enforcing and maintaining the Human Rights Act. So that Article 2 obligation, the right to life, is our highest obligation in keeping with the police statement of common purpose, but codified in law, as per its raw assent in 98, preserve life. Now the firearms officer, he of course, he or she, I recognise they're a female, before anyone jumps in the uh, in the old message box and starts getting out of their pram, I recognise that they're male and female firearms officers. The firearms officer has has ratified to him the ability to take life, which is of course by definition a negation of Article Two, and. In the milliseconds it would take for a person to turn around a doorway, uh, or to to jump out of a car, or to, or to there there are, there are there are a thousand examples uh, here that I could I could offer you of a uh, of a compressed timeline uh, wherein that firearms officer must act within those milliseconds that he or she is presented with there are there are a million a million examples I can give you but the, the point is that that decision must be made within those milliseconds um, and he or she is obligated to make it in that time because of course he or she has an obligation to maintain that article 2 right for everybody else including his or her colleagues and and his or herself. It's so clunky, isn't it, having to say his or herself. I mean, I wish we could just get past this. Um, anyway, that that is the, in, in as far as I can tell, that is the, the, the apex, the, the sharp end of decision-making within this job. Um, the, the decision to to pull that trigger or not um, it seems to me the the ultimate test of, of police decision making uh, am I going to violate that article 2 um, and is it going to be justified or not and I have 
0.7 seconds to decide that. And if I get it wrong, I could murder somebody or I could allow other people to be murdered by this individual, including myself. What a decision that, that is. Um, and I, I, well, I would, I would I defer you for more detail to the, the officers that, that do that, um, that have been in those moments. I, I can only imagine what, what, what that's like. Can't even tell you how much I, I respect the ones who take that on voluntarily. It's an it's an amazing thing to do. Don't know quite how we got there. I was thinking I was uh, yeah. I went. I was talking about liberty and security and the fact that we couldn't help these people today from a policing perspective. Um, I sort of trailed into something I wasn't really planning on on talking about, but I suppose that's that's kind of why we why we do it this way. There is no there is no set agenda. That's it, folks. I'm very nearly home. Uh, I will see you all soon. Um, I keep meaning to mention, uh, if you could, uh, to like, share, subscribe, rate, review the podcast, pass it on to people if you think it would be useful to them. Um, get in touch with me if you'd like to, at UK Cop Podcast, and um, on Instagram. And then, uh, sorry, Mrs. UK Cop Podcast, I need to get in the house. Um, That's it, folks. Yeah, uh, look after each other. Stay safe. I'll speak to you very soon. Bye-bye.